Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on keys to conquering giants. I want to tell you, before I even get started, um, I was telling somebody the other day that, you know, a lot of times the first part of what you're sharing is kind of set up. You know, you got you read you read text and you do these things and you kind of... And then you get to the part where you really just feel like you get to expound in what you really want to say. And sometimes during the part when you're reading the text, you feel like you already lost everybody, right? Because they didn't make it through the reading the text. Because, you know, if you have a lengthy amount of text. And so today I ask that you stay with me for a few minutes. We're going to set some things up and... um, it's going to be good when the bathrooms are moved out of here because we won't all have to watch everybody go into the bathroom over and over again throughout the time. <clears throat> I want to pick up where we left off last week. We're talking about territory, enlarging, stretching, and lengthening. Beautiful word Becky gave us today. Um, we believe that we are on assignment in 2020 to enlarge, to make room, to lengthen our cords, to drive our tent pegs in and uh, spare no expense at making room for what God wants to do. And I want to talk today about some keys to conquering giants, keys to conquering giants, reasons why we shrink back from taking the territory and the land that God has promised us. Look at Joshua 1, 1 through 6. Now, I read this last week. I'm going to read it again this week. Now, it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, to the sons of Israel. Verse 3. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea, toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. I just love verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Be strong and courageous, because no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Now, I want to go back. This is the promise that... God speaks to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. Moses is dead. But if we go back to when Moses was alive and the the people of God first encountered the promised land and first spied out the promised land, we had to kind of go back to see why 40 years later we're talking about taking the land. Okay? So let's go back to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. Moses sent spies into the land to spy out the promised land. And in verse 23, let's pick up in verse 23. Then they came to the valley of Esco, and from there cut down 
<coughs> a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two men with some of the pomegranates and the figs. The place was called the Valley of Escol because the cluster which the sons of Israel cut down from there. We'll pick back up in just a second, but just want you to keep this picture throughout this day. Okay, they go and they cut a single cluster of grapes. If anybody, is this the size of a single cluster of grapes? Stay today. Tell me when I get there. Not you, Blake. Inside joke. Blake, when he says he catches a fish, he says it's this big, you know. This is his unit of measurement. But if we get a cluster of grapes, it's about maybe this big. Maybe even smaller. You probably can get your hands around it, right? But this cluster of grapes was so big that two men carried it on a pole between them. So in essence, what is now what we would think of as a cluster then was probably a single grape. So we're talking about grapes as big as your face, okay? As big as your head. Some of you... Your heads are bigger than others. It's just reality. That's okay. I think the reason people like me in pictures with them is because they look smaller. That's okay, too. Verse 25, when they returned from spying out the land at the edge end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to the, all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us and it certainly does flow with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb, verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. They are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim, that's giants. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we were in their sight. Sight. So we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we were in their sight. Let's pick up one more passage in introduction, Numbers 14, 1 through 10. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died 
Or would that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? You ever see that? Would that we would die in the wilderness? We would prefer to die in the wilderness. Why is God so hard? I mean, he gave them exactly what they asked for. Okay. You can die in the wilderness. I'll spare you dying by the sword, which you weren't going to die by the sword. I was going to let you win. But since you asked to die in the wilderness, okay. Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Fear will make you do the craziest things. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Verse 6, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, whose, of, whose, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, the land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. Do you see the passion? I mean, the distraughtness of Caleb and Joshua when they hear, we don't, we, y'all don't want to go in. I mean, the consensus of this body is not that we're going to move forward. And they just rip their clothes and say, guys, the land is exceeding. I can't tell you the times that I've been in conversations with families or marriage counseling or talking with young people as a youth pastor, and they get in their mind this point of fear, and they're deciding that they're going to settle to live in a place of slavery and destruction and oppression for the rest of their lives because they're afraid that they won't be able to make it into the promise. And there's, I just want to rip my, I mean, I want to just lose it. I just want to beg out. Can't you see that you can be free? But they're so set in their mind. The land that we pass through is exceedingly good. Verse 8, if the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. And do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation, in response, said, stone them with stones. Be quiet. There's times I've become people's enemy because I tell them they can be free. You don't have to live like this. And then you become the enemy. Reminds me of Elijah when he's talking to King Ahab. And Ahab says, you're the troubler of Israel. You're my enemy because Elijah was trying to tell him to repent and turn to God. And he said, you're my enemy. So they wanted to stone them to make them be quiet, and they wanted to return to Egypt. But there's always a Joshua and a Caleb. What caused them to be so gripped with fear? What causes us to be so gripped with fear that we don't have faith to move forward? That we don't have faith for our life, for our family, for what God has put inside of us, for what God has promised us? I love 2 Kings 6, 15 and 17. This is where 
we have to get. This is the vision we have to have. Now, when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses, chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha prayed, God, please open the eyes of my servant so he can see what's really going on. So many times we give up and we surrender and we wave a white flag and we decide to go back into slavery because we give up up hope that we can be free, but we're not seeing what's really going on. We're believing a mirage. It's amazing because the culture tells us what we believe is a mirage and what they believe is concrete, but it's exactly the opposite. What you can't see is the foundation of the world, not what you can see. What is seen is made from what was not seen. What's more sure and what's more faithful is what you can't see. We have to, have, we have to be people who can start to see things correctly. Joshua and Caleb are the only one of the uh, spies that saw correctly. They were like Elisha that knew, hey, open their eyes to what's really going on. Elisha knew, said, open my servant's eyes. How do these people have this kind of faith? How do these people see things differently than the rest of us see things? I want to go through a couple of reasons I believe that they see those things correctly today. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title, the deed of things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see, and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Faith gives you a title and a deed to what you can't see. I mean, it is money in the bank. You can slap it on the table and say, this is mine, but it's by faith. New Living Translation says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we can't see. How did Elisha know that the army that surrounded him was surrounded by faith? What did he ask to happen to his servant? God, give him eyes of faith to see like I see. What happened to Caleb and Joshua that didn't happen to the other spies? They were looking through eyes of faith. And the others were looking through eyes of fear and doubt. How do we get proper vision? How do we see things rightly? Reminded of a saying that says, you can't see the forest for the trees. We have to take everything. Remember, no man will be able to stand in front of you. No adversary will be able to oppose you. No adversary will be able to stop you from moving forward. But we have to look at that adversary through a lens. 
And there's a couple of things I want to talk about today. DJ, can you get your chair and come up here? <laughs> Kenny, can I borrow your Bible? I know that Kenny knows what is in this book. It doesn't help you to carry one of these around and look cool and look Christian if you don't know what it says. But I happen to have driven by Kenny's house on many days and I've seen Kenny on his porch with this open. And so I know this is not just a book that he carries around, but it's a word that he has taken into his heart and he believes. And I know that's what keeps him moving forward. DJ, stand on that chair. <laughs> Face me. Pray for the chair, everybody. <laughs> this is close to a picture of a giant. <laughs> the giant would probably, how tall are you? Six foot, that's two foot. The giant would be a little taller. He's a little too small to be the giant. <laughs> now I'm referring to Goliath, which I don't know if you know this or not, but he is kin to these giants they're talking about, right? He's kin to, they're like cousins and stuff, you know? They're descendants of the Nephilim and the Amalekites, right? They, these, these, um, these giants. So what we have to do is we have to begin to know the word of God in such a way that causes us to be so determined that nothing can stand between me and the promises God has for me. But I want to promise you something. If this is a book that's never been opened and you just have a cool carrier for it, and it sits on your nightstand at home or on your family table, and you got a real big one, and you don't even know what it says, I promise you that book on that nightstand is not going to be a cause that makes you take on this giant. If you don't know the word, you don't have a cause. If you don't know the word, you don't have a reason. And it takes a reason to tackle one of these. It takes a good reason. It takes a good cause to tackle. Just stay there for just a minute. So Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Right? Look at Colossians 2, 15. See, this is why we had to know the word of God. When the word of God says, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed them over them through him. In the Passion Translation, it says, Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. 
In the message, it says he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross, and he marched them naked through the streets. You've got to know the word when these giants start taunting you. You got to say, look, man, I'm fixing to whip your tail, and I'm going to strip you and drag you naked through the streets because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in me. That same power that drug you, take it through the streets, is working in me. You've seen my kind before, just like I've seen your kind before. But you know what happens when my kind and your kind meet in the valley between two mountains. One of us ends up face down with our head cut off and our flesh being fed to the birds. And it ain't me. It ain't me, but you got to know the word. If you don't know the word, you don't know what power you have. If you don't know the word, things always look impossible. How can he take the impossible and make it a memory when you can't see past the impossible? I got to know, look, there's a promise right there. And you're in between me and the promise. And I know the promise. And you're impeding my progress to the promise. Yeah. And that's illegal. Yeah. And the word says you can't stay there. Right. So you got to move. Yeah. Are you going to move or am I going to move you? Yeah. But this cowering back in the face of every giant that yells... And living a life that's racked with fear and retreat is not the plan for the people of God to live in. John 16, 33 says, and everything, are you okay? You're going to be. And everything I've taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you. Everything I taught you, the word said, you know, Jesus was the word. And he became flesh. He said, everything I've taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you. You know that peace that made him sleep in the bottom of the boat when the waves were coming over? I want you to have the peace that's in me in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows, but you must be courageous. You've got to be courageous. Why? For I have conquered the world. You've got to know that you're not facing any battle by yourself. Every, listen to me, every single giant that will stand in opposition to you fulfilling purpose and promise in your life is a defeated giant. It's a defeated foe. How in the world, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but how in the world did Goliath get back into a place of power? Because Caleb already took that land and made all those giants his slave. How over time did giants get back to a place where they would taunt the people of God? Look at it in the message. I've told you all this so that trusting me you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace 
in this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. But take heart, I've conquered the world. Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes before you. He will not fail you or forsake you. I had a friend in high school, about DJ's size, a little taller, not taller than he is on a chair, but a little taller than DJ. And I was uh, with a group of people at one time, and I got into a little argument with someone, okay? Normally, back when I was in high school, I was one of the biggest people around a lot of times. But this guy was bigger than me, okay? And he had a bunch of friends with him. And I hate to use this in my sermon, but I was slightly... Um, I was slightly incapacitated a little, you know. I wasn't at my best in the moment. And so I'm, I'm bowed up with this guy, and he's got all these friends with him, and at the moment I'm kind of by myself, and then my friends start coming around, and I saw my friend come up beside me that's a little bigger than DJ in size and a little taller in high school. This guy was a beast. Eddie Loveday, you remember Eddie Loveday. And about that time, normally I'd be so prideful and I'd want to fight no matter what. But I don't know. I just knew I was in, I was in trouble. And I saw Eddie standing behind me and he had all his friends with him. And I just stepped back. And I just grabbed Eddie and I said, hey, once you get through with him, then we'll talk. <laughs> and that guy just kind of casually walked away. But look, he's the one that goes before us. Why do we try to take pride in fighting battles ourselves? Listen, you can't beat anything by yourself. He's the one that goes before us. Isaiah 41, do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 26, 3, the steadfast of mind, you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. He who ever trusts in him will not be denied. <clears throat> you got to know what the promise is. You've got to know what the fulfillment is. You know, David is years later, and we see this giant and I, this is getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to just go ahead and mix this in because I can't beat around it and move on to my next point without bringing David into this. David is out in a field watching sheep, right? His dad tells him to take some crackers and cheese to his brothers down because they were sitting out getting taunted by a giant for 20, 40 days. So for 40 days, Goliath had been coming out twice a day and taunting the Israelite people, telling them to come and fight me, send your best warrior. If I win, Israel will become our slaves. If you win, the Philistines will become your slaves. He's taunting them for 40 days. David shows up on the scene to bring the cheese and the crackers, right? 
And David's a perfect example of what they didn't do, what they were afraid to do in Numbers chapter 13, right? So David comes, here's this giant, one of the same giants, one of the descendants of the giants that they were afraid to face before. And here's what David does. And we so many times are afraid to ask this question. But David says, what happens to the man who defeats this giant? What happens? We've got into a culture so much We've polarized each other in the kingdom where we've got prosperity gospel and poverty gospel, right? And there's nothing in the middle. If you say God wants you to prosper, then you're clumped over into the prosperity gospel, right? And God, you don't know that God really wants you to suffer. And some of us believe you got to suffer. And the more you suffer, the more you're anointed by God. But David said, what do I get? There's nothing wrong with following God because of what you get. He set it up that way. He's the most beautiful prize, right? He draws us to repentance by his kindness and his goodness. And so he wants it to be that way. So if we're preaching to the world, quit looking at his kindness and goodness, and everyone that talks about it is wrong, then what is going to draw the world to his goodness? I want to display his goodness to the world. I want to display his kindness to the world. But that's not the point. But David says, what's the promise? What do I get? They tell him you get money and you get a hot woman. When I was a youth pastor, I preached a sermon one time. Crackers and cheese are the main squeeze. David goes to give chat crackers and cheese, but he comes home with the main squeeze, <laughs> right? And so, but it's okay to look at the promise. But look, man, once you know the promise, you're like a man on fire, a woman on fire. You're reinvigorated. You've got more determination and more power than you ever had before. But you've got to see every giant I wish I could just magnify that word, but you've got to see every giant with the background being the word of God. Don't miss the forest for the trees. See, he looks big unless I see the promise behind him. He looks big and the army looked big around Elisha until they saw the bigger army surrounding them. So he looks big until I see the promise. And so I've got to keep my eye on the prize. It's okay to be looking in that word and claiming every promise that God has made for you and your life and your family and your home. And I go so far as to say, if you don't do that, you're not going to have the power to defeat the giants. You're not going to have the motivation to defeat the giants. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Now, a lot of people stop there. You got to believe that he is. And because he's God, we all have to be slaves and do what God tells us. But God says, you can't please me unless you know that I'm God and that I'm a rewarder. 
You can't please God unless you believe he's a rewarder. Because he loves to see us come after the prizes. And so we've got to believe the prize is there. And when you get a firm enough hold on the promise, you'll have the determination to not be deterred by any giant. But if you don't know what the promise, I mean, what's the point? Not a big promise, not a big determination to get there. We got to keep our eye on the prize. The only way to keep our eye on the prize is to know the prize. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we've got to know the word. We've got to know the promise and it will drive us and propel us to go forward. Look at Genesis 49. Second thing I believe, we've got to know the word. We've got to know the promise. And we fight by prophetic words. Not only what God has said in his word, but active breathing prophetic words. Not His word is active and believing as well. But his word that comes through people as prophetic words to us or as he's spoken to you yourself. Look at Genesis 49, 8 through 12. I'm going to try to do this really quick. I have to. Oh, my gosh. A purpose in my heart not to even look today. So this is the first time I'm looking. All right. Genesis 49, 8 through 12. You, Judah, your brothers will praise you, your fingers on your enemy's throat, while your brothers honor you. You are a lion's club, cub, Judah. Home fresh from the kill, my son. Look at him, crouched like a lion, king of beasts. Who dares mess with him? The scepter shall not leave Judah. He'll keep a firm grip on the command staff until the ultimate ruler comes and the nations obey him. Now look at this last part. He'll tie up his donkey to the grapevine his purebred prize to a sturdy branch. He will wash his shirt in wine and his cloak in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. This is Israel, formerly known as Jacob, prophesying over Judah generations before. So Israel prophesies over Judah, you are a man with your fingers on your hand on the neck of your adversary. It prophesied over Judah, you will tie your donkey up. We went over grapes earlier, right? How big is a grapevine? You don't tie a donkey up to a grapevine. Unless the grapevine is for a cluster that two men have to carry. So Israel prophesies over Judah generations before. You're going to be in a land with grapevines big enough to tie your donkey to. And your hands will be on the throat of your adversary. He also says you're going to wash your clothes. I mean, the grapes are so big and grape juice is so abundant. You're going to wash your clothes in it. And I love this too. Another, this says his teeth are whiter than milk. The other translation says his teeth are white with milk. 
You get that? A land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to tie your donkey up to a grapevine. You're going to wash your clothes in the abundance of grape juice. And you're going to be sipping from a stream of milk that make your teeth white with your hand on the throat of your adversary. Guess which one of the spies was from the tribe of Judah? Caleb. Caleb. Generations later, the stories had been passed down. The prophetic words had been spoken over generation after generation after generation. And when those spies went into that promised land and they saw those grapes as big as a man's head and they saw it flowing with milk and honey, the rest of the guys got scared because of a giant. But Caleb said, whoa, this is what I was made for. This has been prophesied over me ever for generations and generations and decades and decades. Nothing will deter me from living in the land that's been promised to me by my forefathers. No giant. Are you kidding me? Do you think if I see on the other side what generations before me told me was mine to possess, do you think I'm going to cower down in the face of a giant? I'm going to wrap my hand just like it was prophesied around that giant's throat, and I'm going to suffocate the life out of him. I hate to be morbid. But some of y'all need to wrap your hand around those demons' throat that keep tormenting you and your home and your family, and you need to suffocate the life out of it. Instead of cowering down and backing up every time it taunts you, every morning and every night when it says, hey, come up and fight me. Oh, no, I'll just stay here. You got to see things different. You got to know what God has said about you. You got to know what the word says. You got to believe what the prophetic words have been over your life. Numbers 14, 24. God says about Caleb, but my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully. I will bring into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. He had a different spirit shaped by the prophetic word over his life. You've got to align your spirit with the prophetic words that have been spoken over you, not with what every outside voice says about you. I don't have time to read it, but Joshua 14, if you're taking notes. Caleb responds when they get into the promise and says, hey, I need my stuff. I was 40 years old when I saw it. I've been hearing about it since I was a baby. I've stuck around 45 more years. I'm 85 now. Where are the giants? 
My little hands may be feeble. They may seem weak, but I promise you in my spirit, I'm as strong as the first day I saw it. You show me a giant and I'll put my hand on its neck. And he takes the land. They give him the hill country, some of the toughest land. And Caleb takes it for his possession, the tribe of Judah. Timothy, in 1 Timothy 1.18, this command, I entrust you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. By them you fight the good fight. Look at it in the passion. So Timothy, my son, I'm entrusting you with this responsibility in keeping with the very first prophecies that were spoken over your life and are now in the process of fulfillment in this great work of ministry in keeping with the prophecies spoken over you. With this encouragement, use your prophecies as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare by faith and with a clean conscience. For there are many who reject these virtues and are now destitute of the true faith. We use those prophecies by faith. I tell you what, there's a prophecy on my computer where Damon Thompson spoke over redemption life and he spoke over Knoxville. He said, there's life at redemption. He said, I see Knoxville burning. He said, the spirit of Jezebel has been cast down and a new authority has been raised up. And I tell you, when I get weary, when I get tired, when I want to give up and I want to cower down to the spirit of Jezebel, I look over to that prophecy and I play it on my computer and I say, you better move because I'm going to the promise. I will not be deterred. I will not be delayed. I will fight with that prophetic word as a weapon. And it will come about. I'll take the prophetic word Becky spoke today. And I say, yes, we will lift in our cords. We will stretch our tent. We will make room because revival is coming. Healing is coming. Miracles are coming. And I'm ready. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of giants that are going to step up in the way. Hannah had a dream about a big giant stepping up in the way. We got to know the word. We got to know the promise. And we got to fight with prophetic words spoken over us. Judah, Caleb, guess who the other one was? that was crazy enough to believe they could take the land. Joshua. Guess what tribe Joshua was from? Ephraim. Ephraim and Manasseh were Joseph's boys. Manasseh was the older son. But when he took them in for Jacob to bless them, guess what happened? He crossed his hands and he put the greater blessing on Ephraim than he did to Manasseh. And so Ephraim, when it come time to see the promise, he said, mm, I got something greater on me. Greater is he that's on me than he that's in the world. And I'm going to take it by force. Not only did he have ancestors and great-grandfathers that spoke over him and his lineage and his tribe, 
but Moses, and here comes the power of spiritual fathers and mothers. Not only did Ephraim get the right hand of blessing that was switched on to him from Manasseh, but when it goes through the tribes that went in to scout out the promise, it gives Joshua's name. I don't have that right now. I'm so sorry. But he's a son of Nun. I can't remember what his name was. I think it was something with an O. I meant to have that for reference this morning. But then below it, it says, but Moses called him Joshua, the Lord's salvation. (laughs) I know what your dad called you. I know what your mom said about you. I know what all your friends and family might have said about you, but I see you as the Lord's salvation. I see the hand of God working in your life, moving in your life. I see calling. I see value. I see purpose. And we got to call that out in sons and daughters. Moses called him the Lord's salvation. So the Lord's salvation and Judah who will have his hand on the enemy's throat and tie his donkey to a grapevine, went into the land and came back and ripped their clothes and said, guys, please, let's go take possession. David in 1 Samuel 17, he faced Goliath. In 1 Samuel 16, he was out in the field and they didn't even call him in when Samuel was there to anoint the new king. He wasn't good enough. He wasn't old enough. He wasn't big enough. But Samuel kept waiting on him. He said, man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And he went in there and Samuel anointed him. And the power of God was with him. So when David went to... Goliath, you know, the same day, he's got to fight that battle. His brother says, you're evil. We know the motives of your heart, blah, 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 blah. Could you leave me alone today? I'm about to fight a a giant. Everybody questioned him and rejected him. But Samuel poured oil on him and anointed him. So it don't matter what everybody else said. The man of God put oil on him and called him a king. And he fought that giant with the prophetic word of Samuel. I am a king. Get out of my way. I know Saul is playing the king and he tried to put his army on his armor on me, but I'm the king. And he slew that giant. Last thing. Worship will change the way we see. I'd love to read this story from 1 Samuel 17, but I am so out of time. But I'm going to read it anyways. <laughs> then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. 
The Philistine also said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands." Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. He ran to the battle, ready to fight. Some of us are so coward back, and if we ever do put up a little fight, it's a little defensive fight when we get pushed enough. But I say if you know the word and you know the promise and you know what's been spoken over your life, and if you'll enter into a place of worship and magnify him, you will be running to fights. See, here's what we do. The children of Israel had spent the last 40 days looking at their problem. They were enamored by their problem. They were tormented by their problem. They had no hope that they could escape their problem because they had been worshiping their problem. But David was out in a field somewhere looking at the face of the one. <laughs> David is in a field in a place of worship and magnifying God. He is so caught up in the spirit and he is so focusing. I mean, he said a bear came and a lion came and interrupted my worship. Look, when you're really worship, when you're really shaping your worth based on his worth, and a lion trots up, the lion looks this big. See, when we look through man's perspective, they, the giants look big and we look like grass, grasshoppers. When we look through God's perspective, we look big and giants look like grasshoppers. When we don't worship problems and we worship God, problems get smaller and God gets bigger. When we worship problems and not God, problems get bigger and God gets smaller. So David's in a field and he's worshiping and a bear comes and a lion comes and he slays them. Can you just see the freshness though? David is coming in 
I mean, he's just been in a place of worship and just caught up. Like his vision is tuned to heaven channel. I mean, he, he's not seeing things the way we see things. He's seeing things rightly. He's seeing things the way I've been talking about. I want to have this supernatural vision where I see the real stuff that's going on in a room and not just the stuff I see. I want to look out over this crowd of people and I want to see what's really going on. I want to see what's happening in the spirit and not just what's happening in the natural. So David comes to this place and he is seeing how God sees because he's been in a place of worship. And so he's fresh. They're all looking at the problem. When he walks in, he's like, what's going on? I'm having a hard time focusing in on a problem. Is there something bad going on? It's that big giant. And what does he say? Like, you mean an uncircumcised Philistine? Without covenant with God? I didn't know they could get big. I knew they could grow big, but I didn't know they could get big. Right? They don't have a covenant with God. I didn't know they could walk in any type of authority. What are y'all bowing to? Like, like, no, don't tell me how big his spirit is. Don't tell me about all that. Tell me if he's in covenant with God or not. That's all that matters because I am. I've been in fellowship with him. I've been communing with him. I don't even need to look at him to know I can whip him because he's a Philistine. And he's in opposition to the plans of God. And by the way, if you look at 1 Samuel 17, in the very first verse, the Philistines were gathered in a place on the land of Judah. Guess who else was in that little tribe of Judah other than Caleb? David. David said, there's a speck of opposition and it's standing in my lawn. The Philistines set up their camp in Judah on their land. We're talking about enlarging. I talked about last week. We're talking about spreading out. Some of y'all got giants inside your own land. You can't even think about moving forward because you're surrounded by giants right where you are. When we take authority over our houses and we bring our houses into this place and we join them together, we're going to take over a city. And we take over a city, we're going to take over a nation. We take over a nation, we're going to take over the world, but we got to start with the giants that are on our lawn. Before we start praying for the restricted nations on the other side of the world. Kick them demons out your yard first. Don't let them torment your kid in your own house. What's going on here? It's that big giant. Didn't you see him? No, I didn't see him. Sorry. All I can see is glory. Kind of caught up in a cloud right now, guys. I'm sorry. What's happening? And they're like, see him? And he's like, I mean, they're seeing him, you know, every day. They're like, 
they've got in position of worship to the giants. But David, he's like, help me. Point him out to me. I see a whole bunch of them Philistines up there in Judah. They're all going to die. I don't care which one's the biggest. If I got to take the biggest one first, fine. But I'm not stopping with the biggest. I'm going to kill them all and I'm going to let the birds eat their flesh. Isn't that what he said? Are you having fun? Everybody stand up with me this morning. You can come down. Thank you. If we're going to move forward, if we're going to advance, look, I'm so tired of people talking about, oh, we need to study the devil. We need to focus on the devil. We need to make sure we know everything about the devil. Huh? I need to know about everything about the promise. I need to know everything the word says for me. I need to hold every prophetic word that's been spoken over me. And I need to consume my life with worship. And if something other than that steps in the way, I'll know it's the devil. (laughs) And I'll know his days are limited and numbered and he's a defeated foe. They're all Philistines. I don't care which one's the biggest. I don't care which one culture says is the real strong one right now. They're all Philistines. I'm not gonna let, I'm not gonna focus on suicide and let some other silly little one come in and rob my family of joy and peace. I'm not gonna focus on this big one and let something else come in. Little foxes spoil the vine. I'm just going to keep on meditating on the promise. I'm just going to keep on rehearsing the prophetic word. We're trying to develop. God is birthing a prophetic culture here where it doesn't just flow from the front to the back, but we need every single person to be equipped and empowered to speak prophetic words over one another. Because the prophetic word you release over your neighbor's life may be the very prophetic word that they use as a weapon to slay the giant that's standing in front of them. We must be a prophetic culture. We must. Prayer team, can you come? know my assignment. My assignment is not to build a church. My assignment is to build lives and build families. God will build the church. We've said from the beginning, if we worship God, focus on who he is and love every person he sends us, 
won't look around one day and realize, oh my goodness, there's a church here now. That's the goal. I just say that because we're talking about enlarging a building and we're talking about making some move and taking bathrooms out. I don't want anyone to get confused to think this is a pep talk about our church getting bigger. We can build a thousand seat sanctuary with a broke, bunch of broken families and we won't do nothing. This is simply about evicting giants that have encroached upon our land and our promise and our peace and our sanity on our hope on our joy there's giants that have encroached and they're standing in between us and promises of God for our life there's giants that have that are standing between us and the fulfillment of prophetic words declared over our lives. There are giants that are standing in a position that try to obscure what we've declared with our mouth in a time of worship. Those giants are not what they appear to be. They are grasshoppers that are to be crushed under the feet of men and women of God. So God, fresh and new today, we reaffirm and we consecrate ourselves to be pursuers of promise. Lord, today we pick up a prophetic word that we've laid down. We pick it back up. Can somebody pick it back up today? Pick back up that prophetic word that you laid down and gave up on. Pick it up today. Pick it up today. I meditate on every prophetic word that I know of that's been spoken over this house. I meditate on every word that's been spoken over Power Church of God, over Redemption Life Church, over my life, over my wife's life, over my children's life. I meditate over them and any of those that I've laid down, I pick back up today with a renewed mind and a renewed effort consecrated to fight wars with those prophetic words. Slay giants with those prophetic words. God, I just give myself today fresh and new to worship. Not worshiping problems, not worshiping obstacles, not worshiping struggles and situations.
but I will set my gaze on you. In Jesus' name. People of God, do you make that your covenants today? Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Father. We love you. If anybody wants prayer today or agreement, prayer team is here. If you'd like to come and just, maybe you'd like to share a promise. Maybe you'd like to share a prophetic word. Maybe you'd like to share something that you're believing God for in your life and let them join swords with you today to slay a giant of opposition. Just come and let them pray with you today. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life. 